Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Are people with ADHD more prone to addiction? Why does the ADHD brain crave more and more? And if you or someone you love is in a bad place with addiction, what are some practical tips that will help? These are just some of the points I discuss in this week's episode with neurodivergent professional Matt Gupwell. If you find this podcast useful, all that I ask, please click follow on whatever podcast app you're listening to, or if you're watching on YouTube, please click the subscribe button. Seeing the numbers go up really helps me avoid burnout and enables me to keep making content for you all. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode. Matt. Are people with ADHD more prone to addiction? Short answer, yes. All the research, all the clinical research, scientific research and anecdotal research says, yes, we are. I suppose it's an important distinction at this point to say most research is done on children and adolescents, but those uh, predilections to having addictive personalities then carry through into adulthood. So we can then talk about being... Um, late diagnosed or seeking diagnosis and and the same risks exist but yeah um one of the most quoted figures is in general population terms there's about a 25 percent of the adult population who may be at risk of uh, falling prey to an addiction of some kind substance or behavioral with adhd that jumps to in excess of 50 percent i saw a similar scary statistic i think i saw five to ten people with ADHD are five to ten times more likely to be addicted to and that was a specific to alcohol that's yeah particular stat so that reinforces exactly what you said and I suppose the obvious yeah. question is why what's going on there's two ways of looking at it so you can look at it from the way that ADHD is diagnosed in terms of the subtypes being attentive, impulsive, hyperactive, or you can look at it in terms of that that wonderful word we all talk about so often, dopamine. Um, but either way, what it boils down to is if our ADHD is 
unmanaged if we're not in control of our ADHD, be that with medication or behavioral controls of our own. The elements of ADHD that make us prone to making poor decisions sometimes are very similar to the ones that can make it much easier for us to fall prey to being addicted to anything. Um, so realistically, uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll probably cover this, what happens when we become addicted is interesting um, and how quickly it can become uh, severe for people and debilitating is interesting. But at, at the very outset, it is just the, the speed at which our brains maybe don't notice or don't assess a risk as quickly as it should. And there will be people out there saying, but I'm great at assessing risk. That's not quite what I mean. It's um, not noticing that you're the only person or you're the last person stood at the bar with no good reason, or that you're the person that can't be without a cigarette or a vape, or you're playing video games at four o'clock in the morning or whatever it may be. Um, it's when we don't recognize that that's perhaps not quote unquote normal behavior. That's when addiction is likely to bite. So is it, is it an element of the impulsivity that means that you just have an idea and you can't there's not that time that passes where maybe somebody else might say actually mm. that's going to be that's a bad idea or that's not going to be good for me whereas someone with adhd will just jump at it they won't have that thinking yeah. time yeah potentially yes um interestingly I, I i saw you putting some examples out this week on instagram about what makes it adhd particularly uh, potentially a strength you know hunter gatherer terms and the person that would have gone looking well those strengths if you like the, those impulsive thoughts of well i'm going to go look for food i'm going to go swim in that ocean whether there's predators or not are also the unfortunately the same kind of impulsive actions that lead people to over should we say overconsume or overindulge? So what it appears to be in, in sort of lay terms is um, our filters for self-restraint are not as well developed as they should be. Now, that's a lot to do with the, the prefrontal cortex. That's a lot to do with dopamine deficiency, norepinephrine deficiency, how our bodies utilize serotonin, all sorts of other chemicals and, and hormones. But the upshot is... If we have these deficiencies, then we are less able to see that the decision perhaps isn't a healthy one. So we, we have a risk, a lower risk perception, and that's because of a dopamine deficiency and other deficiencies? Yeah, essentially. So I don't know whether I call it a lower risk perception. It's more a, a lower consequence perception. So if I said to everyone out there who knows or believes they have ADHD as an adult, if I said to you, hey, let's go to a bar and let's drink 48 shots, you would know that probably wasn't a good idea. You would know that there was a risk inherent in that. Does that make sense? Mm. However, if I give you an example from my own life, when I got married at 25 i was then an alcoholic without question um and on my wedding night having spent all day drinking but being able to hide it incredibly well 
my brother-in-law and his friends were all sort of four years, five years younger than me, at approaching half one, two o'clock in the morning, decided that they'd see what I could consume. So they bought me a pint glass and, and asked the barman to put a shot of every single clear spirit or liquor into that glass, which came to about three quarters of a pint. Now, I was already inebriated. There's no two ways about it. My decision-making was impaired. I knew, though, that that's probably not what you're supposed to do on your wedding night, and yet the filter wasn't there. The, the, that signal to say, no, no, stop, wasn't there. And I just took it as a challenge and drank it. Drank it, staggered off to the, you know, first night in a marital bed, my poor wife. And that's because the filter, the mechanism that should have been there to say, you know this is stupid, you know this is a bad idea, and you know there are potential consequences, just did not kick in. Well, the consequence, I mean, that could have been death if you were already drunk yeah. and to consume that amount yeah. of volume in, in a short period yeah. of time, that could have given you acute alcohol poisoning. Yeah, you yeah. Could have died I've had sleep. alcohol poisoning four times in my life because I just didn't know when to stop. Is yeah, it, absolutely. It? And it's that filter. So I, I keep seeing the phrase dopamine deficiency whenever, if I Google yeah. what, what's the link between ADHD and addiction. And is it... Yeah. As, as, so I understand the basics. We're, miss, we're, we're missing some chemical which makes us feel happy. So we reach for it in ways that gives us an instant hit. And that's, yeah. that's where my understanding ends. Because when we reach for that hit, that's, we do, that's a one-time action. We have a drink or we gamble yeah. or, we, or we do this or that. But then we, what, what makes us unable to stop? So with ADHD, it's that we actually start to chase not so much that initial if you like spike or rush of dopamine if you ever hear um a drug addict particularly um or, or in, in fact some behavioral addictions you know talk about whether it's sex addiction or gaming addiction or porn addiction when people talk about a high from whatever that activity or consumption is we end up chasing the high not the initial feeling so we then very quickly make a different link, which is, well, the more I do this, the more I get that buzz, the more I get that, that feeling. Now, let's not discount the fact that there are millions of people who go through their lives into adulthood, not knowing that they're neurodivergent, who know that they've self-medicated with something. Okay. typically alcohol, cigarettes, sometimes recreational drugs. And it's very similar to the self-medication concept. And the problem with calling it self-medication is it seems nicey-nicey. It seems, oh, that's a healthy thing to do. I was helping myself cope. I was, no, actually, you're leading yourself down the path of a very debilitating and, and potentially life-threatening addiction. But, and I'll come on to what I think the... the the need is later on the reason for that potentially is because of feeling so different in the first place if we didn't feel so different we wouldn't feel the need to have to self-medicate and i don't think really medication is the right term i really think of it now as switching off the senses i i know that when i overconsumed, drank smoked whatever i was i was muting life so i couldn't feel i couldn't perceive as much as I I did if I wasn't drunk or smoking or whatever and that meant I could cope better 
Does that make sense? So it's not medication at all. It's just a term, but it re- it's a coping mechanism, just a really bad one. Mm. I mean, it, it does. It's the racing mind, the racing thoughts, that yeah. which can cause anxiety. And the alcohol, and I'm just talking from my experience, mm. just takes that down a notch. And then yeah. it takes it down a notch. And then you sort of get used to that new level. And then you feel like you need to take it down more. So you have another drink. And you take it down more, and then suddenly you're blackout drunk, and it happens really quickly. Um, mm. It's almost like it's such a relief that pressure has been released, and that's what alcohol did to me. Yeah. Um, so, is that part of the the link? The ADHD can cause such a racing mind that the alcohol is almost like the anaesthetic; it's the antidote. Yeah. I mean, if you go back to there's there's a clip that you've shared a few times from the first time we met where I dis, uh, I describe not knowing you've got ADHD as being exhausting. You know, that, that, that mm. racing mind is just exhausting. Well, if you don't know any other way to quiet that racing mind and then you find something, anything that does that, unfortunately, our brains are going to latch onto that very quickly. And we are at more risk then of of seeking that feeling again and again. And a lot of the research says we start to seek it perhaps when we don't even need it as much. That's where we go from sort of obsession into compulsion, into addiction, right? These stages of initially you need it when you're at your worst and then you just go, I just need it. You know, how often does the person come home from the office and just, oh, I have a bottle of wine every night, but it's not a problem. Really? Are you sure about that? You know, are you sure that's not over-consuming alcohol? But we tell ourselves it's okay. Because while I'm not blind drunk, mm, there was a point where a bottle of wine would have got you drunk. But now you're beyond that. And, And so you're chasing, well, as long as I'm not blind drunk, as long as I'm not passed out drunk, clearly I haven't got a problem. It's that distinction of what, what makes a problem? Who says it's addiction? Um, and listen to any of the, the, the main scholars or specialists talk about this online, the likes of, you know, Gabon Mate, who I, I like and dislike some of his theories, or, or Russell Brand even, Russell Barkley. They will all talk about our addictive personalities being... A, a dysfunction of the filter mechanism. It's just that not knowing when to stop and then changing the goalpost and changing the goalpost and changing the goalpost. And the sad thing for me, and this is something I think it's really important to talk about, is this starts in childhood more than it's ever done before now. The that, signs are there. Well, that begs the question, what are the signs if you're a parent? Okay, so... Let me let me give you a brief um, example from from my life. My sons were diagnosed in two thousand and six and two thousand and eight, respectively, with uh, autism. So around about two thousand and nine, when they're both still in infant school, they'd have been six and eight, I think, uh, six and four. My wife and I had a meeting with the school senko um, and an educational psychologist from the local authority and it it, had been brought about because both our sons were struggling with what they were displaying as some unusual behaviors at the time and in the course of this meeting 
the educational psychologist sort of changed direction, it seemed, and said, look, at this point, I need you as parents to be aware that there is a real problem you're going to have as your children grow up. And if you don't address it and you're not aware of it, the consequences could be really damning. Okay, sit up and take notice. And she said to us that it's very difficult to distinguish between what is an autistic or an ADHD behaviour and a behaviour that's normal for someone of their age. But we have to learn. And she said, if at an early age you're not paying attention, the problem is the child isn't able to know the difference. And she said at that point, so 2009 now, so we're going back a long time, she said then the statistics of the amount of teenagers between the ages of 13 and 19 who were already showing signs of addiction, who were showing signs of criminal behaviour, who were ending up in criminal justice systems because they'd never learned to regulate the behaviours was already alarming. Now, what she spoke about wasn't so much substance abuse. While she touched on it, she spoke more about things like gambling, internet addiction, porn addiction, even sex addiction. It was the behavioural addictions that were causing more problems for neurodivergent kids. And that was what was the, the, the point she was making. So I started to do a bit of digging on this recently. And again, there's a lot of evidence that says, particularly since the birth of the modern smartphone, since, you know, since this kind of thing that is essentially a super powerful computer in your back pocket, there are more children at a younger age now who are already showing signs of screen addiction and internet addiction and therefore abusing this technology, whether it's gaming, whether it's chat rooms, whatever it may be. So you've been through alcoholism, right? If I said to you, how would somebody have recognised that before you told them you were an alcoholic, given you were an adult, would you have said it was easy for them? No, I mean, no, not at all. There were no, there were no signs. Well, there were right. no, no one said anything to me. I'm sure there were signs, but no one was aware to pick up on them. There's a key point. Nobody said anything but may have thought it. As parents... Okay, we sit there and we give our kids switches, smartphones, Xboxes, Playstations, whatever. And I'm not blaming these brands for the problems, by the way. Nobody sued me. I'm just saying these things. If we are not monitoring their reactions to what they're asked or what, how they behave when they're told time is up, when they're told to switch things off, we are likely to miss the very early warning signs that they may have an addictive personality. So take child A and child B, okay? They're both eight years old. They're both playing the same game on a games console, okay? It is, I don't know, 8.30 in the evening, okay? And both sets of parents say, okay, it's time to turn the game off now and go to bed, okay? Child A, Okay, let me just finish the game and I'll turn it off. Finishes the game, turns it off, goes, gets ready for bed. Child B starts bargaining, starts crying, starts arguing, starts playing faux deaf, throws a tantrum. Okay? At that point, 
literally the first time that happens, and this sounds very, very alarmist to say, but I believe it's true. At that point, if we also know that child has got any kind of ADHD or autism, we need to pay attention to hold on a minute. That's not a normal reaction. That is not a tantrum. That is not stropping. That is, and you will know this because you must have seen it in recovery, that's withdrawal. That's being told I can't consume the thing I want to consume any longer and I don't agree. And if that's happening at a young age, the chances are unless we check it and we help them early, it will get worse and worse and worse. And, and it is there and we see it all the time. You know, we, we literally see it all the time with, with children with smartphones who they're not getting enough sleep. They're not, you know, they're failing exams. They're having problems at school because they can not turn their screens off. And it's, it's their responses if they're told that I think are the keys to this. The reason that was so relatable is because I think back to when I was in the worst of the alcoholism or when I was mm. active back in 2017 during the court case. And I remember one particular day I was told you can't have any more alcohol. And my reaction was rage and irrationability. And to mm. the outsider, it probably would have looked very similar to what you're describing yeah. with that young child being told you can't have that source of yeah. dopamine anymore in terms of the computer game. But fast forward 20 years and suddenly it's alcohol. Mm. Yeah. And the problem is, it's not such a jump for the child to go from a screen to something else. Because again, everything's a bit too accessible now. That's that's the issue. And, you know, I, I shared a video on, on on my Instagram recently about why do we fall into a blind rage when, when we're interrupted? Okay, And it, it's all about how we're not prepared and we, we don't have time to to process. If you then add in the fact that you are being fed a super high dose of adrenaline and epinephrine and, and dopamine and somebody says no more, the rage is, you know, it, it's incredible Hulk-esque because it's, it's world-ending as far as that person's concerned, adult or child. That puts us in a really difficult place. Now... I'm not judging anyone. I am not saying I'm a fantastic parent by any stretch of the imagination because I'm sat here as an addict in recovery. So there's that whole side of it. But what I will say is, if as parents, we are modelling from an early age healthy behaviours, healthy use of screens, healthy use of games, it does make it harder for the ADHD child or the autistic child to learn what a healthy use of those technologies is and those devices is. Because if all they see is mum or dad constantly on their phone, if all they see is whenever they come down or they go to bed, somebody's on a games console or binging Netflix, they begin to think, well, this is acceptable. And the distinction between adult and child is just irrelevant. Well, you can do it. I remember having that conversation with my mum, and I'm a child of the 70s and 80s. I wanted to stay up and watch three channels of TV. And I remember, distinctly remember saying, it's not fair. You're doing it and I'm not tired. Hey-ho, that was probably quite a flag that there was something else going on that nobody would have ever seen. But, but it's, it's a very similar pattern. The one thing I will throw in this, there is research that says ADHD children 
when they are diagnosed early enough, when these kind of patterns of behavior are noticed early enough, and if they are on the right medication, be it stimulant or non-stimulant, both the chances of early recovery and of staying recovered are much greater. The longer it takes for someone to find the right medication, the more chance that they fall into addiction and then potentially, hopefully, recovery as an adult. So medication can help. What's going on chemically in the brain when someone takes ADHD medication? Does that help them with that impulsivity? Does that help them regulate their dopamine? So when they do get a source of it, it's not such a flood? Yes, theoretically, yes. So stimulant meds, depending on which one they take, yes. So um, methylphenidate, um, sort of brand name Concerta or, or Ritalin, depending on if it's slow or fast acting, predominantly focuses on the, um, the regulation of dopamine and a little bit about norepinephrine. Whereas uh, lisdexamphetamine, um, uh, metamphetamine, so sorts of Vianase and Elvans medications work slightly differently. So they have a, a slightly um, more balanced focus between dopamine and norepinephrine. Either way, the net result, if it's the right medication, is that we get these feelings of, you know, the brain slowing down a little bit more, able to make better decisions. With that, we get this balanced dopamine, this healthy adrenaline, and there is a, a difference. So we get these feelings in our brain of, okay, I don't need to self-soothe. I don't need to seek out any extra because I'm feeling okay at this point. So if the medication's right, yes, non-stimulant meds do it a slightly different way. They tend to focus predominantly on this norepinephrine chemical. Um, and norepinephrine is what gives us the, the get up and go, the energy, the, the sort of the, I, I refer to it as like this positive side of adrenaline, right? So it's that positive action thing. And then dopamine gives you the pleasure for doing that. So if the meds are right, they can certainly help. If, however, the meds are not right and we don't know why they're not right, the risk is then we still self-medicate self-soothe because we're not quite getting what we perceive we should from the prescribable medication if you so would you recommend then if, if if a parent recognizes these signs in their children i.e their child's playing a computer game and they say mm. you've got to turn that off now and their child reacts in a way that is rage or screams mm. and so going back to what you said earlier that could be a potential sign of mm addictive behavior like mm. if, a, if a parent's in that position what advice would you have for them other than to say okay well your child is that could be a chance of them being an addict later on in life yeah. showing examples now um what advice do we have for parents in that situation well first of all i'll quote the uh, the wonderful author douglas adams and say don't panic <laughs> um, and secondly, I'll quote something which I think comes originally from uh, also known as the big book from Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a statement that says the opposite of addiction is connection. So there has been a lot of research now when it comes to children and screen addiction that says the single most effective tool to helping children overcome the early warning signs of addiction is to do more with mom and dad where possible. Do more. Right. Play board games, 
do some colouring in to de together, go for more walks, just do more. And the sooner you can start doing more, the sooner we make healthy connections and healthy sort of neurological connections and pathways that say to the child, this feels as good. Because the sad truth is, I'm sure if there are parents watching out there, right, and, and, and I, your podcast, but I'd love to know the response to this. How many parents have got children who would say that their friends, all of their main friends, but they're online. I can't not be online because that's where my friends are. And how many of them have heard that and actually heard or seen the panic in their children's voices when they say it as well? The truth may be that, yes, whilst they are connecting with people online, they feel that way because they haven't got the bonds or the connections in the real world. Now, there's a flip side to this for children with ADHD. Yes, we find it harder to make friends typically. So do we, as adults, right? So it's about how do we create healthy friendships? How do we teach them? Okay, what a good friendship feels like and help them make those bonds. But the more we can make real human bonds, the more we can break the the grip of feeling I have to rely on technology or a, or a, a behavioral sort of um, addiction. I know that there's going to be a whole breadth of pe different people listening to this. I know there's going to be parents of parents. There's going to be loved ones of people in active addiction and there's going to be addicts themselves who are maybe in recovery or they're maybe mm. in active addiction at the moment whether whether that be like alcohol i know we're talking about alcohol but mm. gambling porn whatever yeah if we just focus on those people who might have come to this particular podcast for advice and they recognize a lot of what you're saying and they want some basic first steps into how to to put the bottle down or to how to step away from whatever it is that they're addicted to. What would yeah. you say to those people? Um, you know what? The first thing I'll say is it's difficult, right? Anyone knows that you, I, anyone that's, that struggle with addiction knows that the first step is going to be the hardest. I would say that the first time you're able to have a, a clear thought, a genuine clear thought of this is no longer fun. This is no, I am not in control of this anymore. Okay. Which, you know, if, if you go through, through, uh, you know, what's referred to as a 12 step program, originally AA and narcotics anonymous, but now there's a, a you know, a similar program for almost any behavioral or substance addiction you can imagine. The first step of that program is to admit that we're powerless. Okay. We are not in control of this. It's controlling us. I think that for me personally was the biggest step. I knew at that point, I knew I was there. Um, so it's, it's asking yourself some very hard questions when you're reaching for that drink, when you're reaching for that joint, when you're reaching for the phone or whatever it may be. Are you doing it because you want to or are you doing it because you just can't stop? Because, you know, some of the the most telling signs for, for any addiction are when we're doing it at the expense of real life, when it's affecting relationships and work and friendships and health. And if you can honestly say, okay, I know I should be doing something else at this point and I'm not, we've got a question to ask ourselves. So the first piece of advice is 
sit down, have a have a conversation with yourself on your own, with a loved one, a friend, if you can, and just be honest. And then don't do it alone. Please, please, if you honestly think you have got an addiction, whatever it is, you do not have to. And the sad truth is the results uh, in terms of staying abstinent, staying in recovery are far worse if you try and do this on your own. Whether that means you go to a treatment center, whether that means you go into a formal setting, whether that means you go to a 12-step group, whatever it is you do, I'll go back to that statement. The opposite of addiction is connection. Connect with someone. Connect with people who understand. Connect with people who won't judge you. Connect with people who are invested in the same thing you are. And that's the single, single most effective thing in, in I believe, in helping you stay in active recovery. If you try and do it on your own, the demons will creep back in at some point. Life will get too much at some point, And it's too easy to f default to the old habits because it feels and we know it feels good or we tell ourselves it felt good. So connect is is the first thing. Admit it, connect uh, and then keep reminding yourself why every day. Do you think people do you think people have to go to a really dark place with addiction in order for them to realize that they need to stop. Within the community, we call it obviously rock bottom. Um, mm. A lot of people will be aware of that phrase. Do you think that's necessary? Do you know what? I, I actually think it is. And I, I, there's part of me that doesn't want to have to say that, if I'm honest with you, but I do think, yeah, you as an individual have to feel that you are at rock bottom. Because if you're not at a point where you think you can't cope anymore, where you think you can't go on anymore, where you think this is out of control, you will think you still have a grip on this. You will think that you can still get away with it. You will think that you're still able to hide it from people, do things. And if you're in that place, you're never going to really be able to commit to recovery. And we see it time and time again in the wider recovery community where someone's told they've got to go into recovery. How many celebrities have you seen, has anyone listening seen, stories of celebrities who were told by a really well-meaning friend, we're going to put you into a recovery centre, you've got to go into rehab. Three weeks later, they come out and then it's worse than ever before. Or, or, you know, even worse, it's catastrophic. My belief is because that person wasn't ready. And if they're not ready, they won't commit. Hit rock bottom. Know that you're willing to say, okay, this is bad. This is beyond bad. Then there really is only one other option to take, isn't there? Because nobody wants to stay there. Nobody wants to stay in that, that pit. All we want is a sense of hope and a sense of, okay, can I do anything about this? So, yeah, I, I hate to say it, hitting rock bottom is, I think, really important. I suppose the next question is, is heavily related and also very specific to the ADHD community, but also perhaps just somebody who struggles with memory. Um, mm. So if, if we agree that rock bottom is required in order for you to have that realization that life is unmanageable okay mm -hmm. so you have that but then what if you forget about that moment 
or because we know yeah, people I, with ADHD are prone to forget, you know, yeah, having absolutely. bad memory. So what if you actually forget that rock bottom moment? And that's something that I know is an issue. Like, And that's, that's a very niche question to perhaps this audience is maybe they've gone through that horrendous period and then a year's gone past and that memory has faded. I think that's where community comes in. You know, we talk about a fellowship in recovery, right? I mean, you, you, you'll have heard that community fellowship, whatever it is. For me, staying connected to my recovery community, talking about it, researching it, reminds me every day, right? My memory is awful. I, I freely admit that. And you're right. I think it's a risk. But because I remind myself every day that I am in recovery and I, I'm tell myself that I'll always be in recovery because I still, you know, we we refer to a 12 steps thing as work in a program, but whatever your structure is, um, as long as you think about it every day, then I think it helps you remember why. Mm. The risk is, oh, I'm recovered, right? Oh, I'm sober. Oh, I, I haven't, I haven't had a drink. I haven't done anything for much. I recently met somebody who had gone 23 years clean and then slipped. 23 years, right? And and then I chat with them. They were really honest and said, you know what happened? I just thought I'd finally cracked it. And I stopped doing it. I stopped thinking about it. I told myself I got it. I was recovered. 23 years, I'm fine. Literally... It took him three weeks to have slipped from the point that he... Now, that, if nothing else, what that says is how insidious addiction is, right? You don't... Like, like we don't grow out of ADHD, I think a sad truth is you don't recover from addiction. You learn to control your addictive mindset. You learn to, you learn to understand it and to see the signs. The minute you say, I've got this, Jack, I think you're, a, you know, you're heading for a fall. So yeah, think about it daily, painful as it is, unhappy as it makes you. Think about why you chose to say, I've hit rock bottom in the first place. And I think that's the most effective thing anyone can do. And it goes back to that saying, please, please don't try and do it on your own. I think that's probably the most powerful advice if anything, is to maintain that community. And, and the the point of that is, in a way, to make sure that that memory stays with you mm. forefront. So in 20 years, maybe you've been sober for 20 years and you walk past that beer garden on a sunny day and you mm. see that, that dripping down the, the side of the pint glass. And in mm. that moment, you might go, oh, that's nice. And yeah. if that memory is not cemented, if you've yeah. strayed from the community and you don't have that solid foundation of step one if we're talking about the steps that if you have that yeah. drink maintain the community i think that's such strong advice whether that's yeah. aa a trusted person a yeah friend network, whatever it is for you yeah there is another side to this though and, and 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 in doing this podcast you know i think a it's incredibly brave of you to use this platform to talk about this it's not the the most um happy of topics to talk about addiction and ADHD, but it's important because the links are there. So I really do applaud you for doing it. I applaud your honesty for talking about it. But I, I genuinely think one of the things that makes it hard for people who are in addiction or think they might be is stigma. 
the stigma attached to saying I'm an addict, the stigma attached to saying I'm in recovery is still so strong, particularly dependent on what the, the addiction is for, the, for people, right? Because of that stigma, so many people may never feel that they can do it because they're fearful for their job, they're fearful for their career or their family or their friends network or whatever it may be. And we need to, societally, we need to change that. We, we need to see people facing addiction and, and owning their addictive, uh, addictive personalities as strength, as a positive. We don't need to shun them and, oh, you know, you're an addict, you, you, you know, you, you must be this type of person. You are trying to change, I, I, you know, what can I do to help? How do we support you? And until that changes, I think there's a problem. So um, I am now going to make a statement. Feel free to edit this, right? But in terms of ADHD, this is why I have such an issue with the them and us rhetoric from ADHD influencers in terms of neurotypicals and neurodivergent. Right. This rhetoric that, oh, it's a neurodivergent world, neurotypical world. It wasn't built for people like me. They're making my life difficult. You've done this to make my life difficult. OK. We know we know that very often people will fall into self-medication because they feel othered to begin with. They feel different to begin with. Right. Way before they know that they've got ADHD or any other condition, they feel so othered that they're trying to cope by doing something. If they then find their tribe, and we all want to find our tribe, and they find their tribe and go, oh, I'm not on my own. It's not weird to think like this, to be like this, but hold on, I've got this other element, I've got this addiction, and I, I need to, to beat this, right? If what they are then still told day after day, post after post is, oh, well, it's their fault. Those neurotypical people's fault. They made it difficult and therefore you couldn't have avoided. It does actually, I genuinely believe, make it hard for some people to enter into recovery. It really does because it. It pushes the message that, well, your life's so hard anyway. You have to go out every day and put on this really heavy mask and walk around with it. So if you have to self-medicate, then you have to self-medicate. Normalizing self-medication to the point that self-medication changes into addiction is dangerous. And the more we them and us, the more we normalize it. Now, that's a problem. So there should be more ADHD educators and, and, and influencers like yourself who are willing to have discussions about this, who are willing to say, wait a minute, we need to know this, right? And we need to stop them and nothing. And we need to admit that we live in the world. Some of us are neurodivergent, some of us are not. What we need is to support each other, to lift each other up. And yes, from a neurodivergent perspective, that means we need to educate more people. We need more awareness. But we're not going to make anyone want to help us if we keep telling them what they're doing wrong and what they've done wrong. That just will not work, right? So we've got to tell them the things we find difficult, the things we need support with, and how they can help.
the rest of it, just let's stop that. Because until we do, we've got conflicting information and the message for people who are struggling to understand themselves enough as it is, is, well, I'll just continue to do these things that might not be great for me because it's, you know, I live in this neurotypical world and it's so hard for me. Mm. And I'm not saying it's not, but what I'm saying is it, it, it makes it more dangerous is, is my opinion. And I've seen it. I've seen it with people I know in recovery and they're very honest about it. And I, I, it breaks my heart when I hear them talk about it in those terms, because it's just unnecessary. I think there's going to be a movement away from this division, as you said, like neurotypical, neurodivergent, because that just creates this impression that it's them and us, and that can't be helpful. And also <laughs> neurotypical, where does neurotypical stop and neurodivergent start? Okay, probably you'd say, well, with the diagnosis. But if, if you look at it as a spectrum, you know, surely there's going to, yeah. if you look at it as a Venn diagram, there's going to be an overlap. Yeah. And then, and then what are those people? And the whole narrative just feels quite unhealthy. It does. And look, I will go back to this statement of, of sort of statistics. We are often told that I think it's 20% uh, globally, 20% of all people globally are some neurodivergent some way or other. Okay. That only includes people with a paper diagnosis. It only includes those with an official label, right? Doesn't include parents of children who may now be realizing that they might be neurodivergent as well. It doesn't include your grandparents or your aunts or your uncles who are too old so that it never mattered. It doesn't include people who can't afford a diagnosis privately or who are waiting for an NHS diagnosis and that's not to bash the NHS. But my estimation is still that that 20% figure is almost certainly touching 50% of the world's population are neurodivergent. It has to be. Now, if you think about that, that ain't them and us. Because there's 50% of them and there's 50% of us. There's as many of us as there are as them. If we are not in a battle. We are in a shared environment. We should work together. We need a holistic view of this not a ballistic separating view. Does that make sense? And and I think you're right. I I hope, I pray that there is a movement that stops this. I pray more people realise why it doesn't help. I think it comes with age. I do. I think it comes with experience. I do. And that's fine, you know, as some of the educators out there or influencers out there get a little bit older, they might start to realize or maybe it's not quite as them and us as i once thought that's okay certainly i had some weird views when i was you know mid-20s that's okay but from this conversation standpoint right it is about we need support for each other mm. it's fascinating you know? I, I i agree with everything you just said i think there's I don't want to go too much down that road because I think it's it, but it's, it's, it does hold a lot of merit, and I can see just on a tangent that on a tangent, then I think the narrative between them and us and neurotypical versus neurodivergent is is I think it's got a bit carried away, and it almost yeah, seems yeah. a bit pantomime, uh, especially the, the way it's been structured by some of the influencers. Um, however, I'm desperate to ask you some questions that the, the, the my community has asked. Just who. who 
that my community are keen to ask you around the topic of ADHD and addiction. Go for it. Why not? So my first one comes from Patricia McCabe, and she says, I have a child who is showing signs of addiction at a young age. What should I look out for as they get a little bit older? Okay. So uh, I suppose this goes back to what we were discussing earlier on. Depending on what you think, Patricia, they are showing signs of addiction with at the moment. Um, it's less about how they use or indulge in that activity, that thing. It's more about what they are doing when they can't do it. What, how are they reacting when you ask them to turn off or to come off or to do something else? So if that pattern of reaction stays the same but the activity changes i think personally that's a bit of an early warning sign of that your child maybe has an inability to to filter as i've said before what a, what a good decision or a healthy decision is around this so that's part one watch out for how they react part two and i'm sure you're a fantastic parent anyway because you've asked this question of someone to get help but go back to that thing the opposite of addiction is connection it may be hard, there may be fight involved, but but see what else you can get them to indulge in. So can you do something else instead of, you know, instead of an hour doing whatever it is they're doing at the moment, can you get them to do something? And if we can start to replace more of the use of whatever that addictive behaviour is, then we start to, again, to rewire their thought patterns about, oh, actually, it's OK, I don't have to do this so that's what i would say is watch out for similar behaviors put onto different things thanks matt i've got a question from carol peterson she says my son is 45 he can't stop drinking he's not at the point yet where he realizes it's a problem but it's causing devastation to the family we can't stop worrying what can you suggest that we do to help him interesting i had this conversation earlier on before i started recording um so the, the, I think the, the first statement is don't be afraid to be honest with him. I'm sure you've already tried already, but don't be afraid to say we're worried. Don't be afraid to even gather some, some evidence if you want about, you know, is he drinking at the expense of connections with people? Is it affecting work, social life, etc.? But absolutely don't try and force the issue of i think you need help um one of the i think one of the most confusing aspects of adhd that i see particularly with the people i mentor is we're not very good at being told what to do we don't take direction typically very well we like to feel in control of our decisions because it reduces anxiety so the minute we are told you've got a problem we think you should it's likely we'll do the opposite at a million miles an hour shy away from that and maybe just just show them the love show them the concern maybe see if they'll even sit down and listen to or watch this podcast with you without any you know any context um, and, and then see if a conversation starts. Thanks, Matt. Another question from Good Bornhead. She asks, how can people pick good addictions and steer clear of bad ones? Oh, that's an interesting uh, way of phrasing it. 
Okay, can I maybe rephrase that? And rather than thinking of good addictions or bad addictions, an addictive mindset, an addictive personality is the issue. Um, and it goes back to this thing of an addictive personality and a mindset can be transposed onto something that on the face of it looks healthy. That's why there is such a thing as exercise addiction, why there's such a thing as emotional addiction. So rather than chasing that, I, I, I rephrase it to be healthy habits, hobbies, um, healthy things. Um, and again, whatever that thing is, we should always be able to stop it. We should always be able to not do it for a period of time without it causing anxiety or stress or, or a problem. It's when it does do that that we've now crossed the line. So hopefully that makes sense. It's great to have good things in your life, but you should always be able to not do them. Thanks, Matt. Um, and this one's interesting. From Amanda Comer, she says, and it actually touches on the point that we mentioned before about separating neurotypicals and neurodivergence but she asks what's the main difference between adhd and neurotypicals when it comes to addiction so neurodivergent people adhd we are aware now from research are a more at risk from just the genetic components of adhd and the way our brains are wired to have addictive personalities and we're more at prey of falling into addiction faster um, and younger. So addiction can get anyone. That's true, whether you've got ADHD or not. But if we have ADHD, we, it's like we said at the start, we won't notice as soon as someone else that we've already developed unhealthy habits. Um, and then our ability to, to stop those habits, stop those behaviours is also... In, in terms of normal sort of neurotypical people, it's, it's really diminished. Thanks, Matt. And the next one is kind of touches on what we said before. What can parents put in place as a preventative? So there's a couple of ways I think I would approach this, depending on the age of the children. Choice is great. Try and give children lots of choice, lots of different things to do, depending on their age. Um, so they can indulge in the things they want to do, but they've got options to do something else. One of the greatest tips I was given, and I think it applies to adults as well, actually, is don't put negative consequences on doing or not doing certain things. If you don't come off, you won't be able to. That will likely make the child want to do that harder, faster, more in defiance. So do it in terms of praise. Okay, Reward is 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 better than... Um, sort of punishment um, and then try and do things with them you know connection again it, it just keeps coming back to connection um, see if they'll play you know if they like computer games play a computer game with them for a bit let's play a game for half an hour and then we'll go and do something else it's sort of being the adult being the parent and leading them to make those healthy decisions but doing it with you in a way that feels collaborative Thanks, Matt. Super helpful. And I've just one final one, and it's super interesting. It's from uh, Peter Jackson, and he says, my son has addiction issues. He has ADHD, and he wants to start ADHD medication, but I've heard that ADHD medication can be addictive. 
what's the truth? Not true. Not true. ADHD can be addictive if you don't have ADHD. If your son has ADHD, his brain chemistry is already such that the right ADHD medication won't be addictive if he follows the prescribed amount at the prescribed time. Um, so, no, that's that's not true. And again, the research says that being on the right medication can actually make the process of being in recovery much easier. So don't be afraid of it. Follow the prescribed route, follow the advice of professionals. But no, it's not addictive um, if he's actually got ADHD. Amazing. Thank you, Matt. That's all of the questions that I had. Pleasure. Um, I can see that being super helpful to everyone listening. Are, are there any so. other points that you wanted to touch on? Um, no, you know what? The, my main point in this conversation was to be open about this topic of addiction. As I say, the stigma attached to addiction is is awful, and that's what creates a lot of the guilt and the shame and the feelings that you know we, when we come into uh, recovery, often feel. Um, so it's not to say that I am proud that I have been an addict. I am proud that I'm in recovery. And I want other people to feel some sense of pride, some sense of rebuilding themselves if they are strong enough and able enough and supported enough to to know they need that help, to know they need to be in recovery. So if this podcast does anything, all I would say is, if you've listened to it and it helps you or the information has helped you share it, please. That helps Alex, obviously, but it just helps get this information out there. Um, share it, reach out to Alex, me, whomever. Don't be afraid to discuss addiction as a topic. It's better to face it than to not face it and it to get worse, obviously. Uh, and just, like I say, keep this holistic approach to everything, to ADHD, to the conversation, and particularly to the way we think of uh, addiction as well, because it's all about working together to help people recover. And yes, it will be harder if they have ADHD. Yes, it may be, you know, maybe even take longer, but it doesn't mean it's not possible. Thanks so much, Matt. I'll put all of the details in the show notes of where people can reach out to you if they want to yeah, listen to absolutely. you, hear you speak or hear anything more about you thanks so much for your time my absolute pleasure thank you again mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.